I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. Uh, we are continuing in our sermon series on the book of Genesis. Looking at Genesis chapter 9, verses 18 to 29 for our time together this morning. Follow along with me as I read. Uh, Beginning in Genesis chapter 9, verse 18. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both of their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. May God bless the reading of his word. Uh, This is a bizarre and somewhat disturbing passage of Scripture. Uh, But what is particularly strange about this sequence of events is that we're talking here about righteous Noah. This is the guy who found favor in the eyes of the Lord, Genesis 6-8. Who was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, Genesis 6-9. Who did all that God had commanded him, Genesis 6, 22. And who by faith, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household, Hebrews 11, verse 7. And yet here we find him drunk and naked in his tent. What are we to make of this quote-unquote, hero of the Christian faith. Well, of course, Noah isn't the only Christian leader to fall like this. Uh, When allegations of sexual misconduct surrounding Ravi Zacharias surfaced shortly after his death a couple of years ago, it was disorienting for many followers of Jesus because here was a Christian apologist whose books and whose lectures 
convinced thousands to trust in God, but whose heinous actions violated that trust. As one article put it, he preyed on the vulnerable. He leveraged his ministry influence to intimidate victims. He convinced the world he couldn't be the kind of monster they imagined sexual predators to be. But then I just found out this week that uh, Matt Chandler, lead pastor of the Village Church in Texas, uh, is taking a leave of absence after his church learned of frequent messages between him and a woman who is not his wife. The church leaders commissioned a, uh, an, an independent law firm to conduct a review of Chandler's messaging history across social media platforms, emails, messages. And they, uh, they concluded that while the messages were not romantic or, or sexual in nature, the, the frequency and familiarity, that's the language that they used, of the messages crossed a line. And so Chandler is stepping away from teaching and preaching for a time. And, and I'm not saying all of that to gossip about Matt Chandler, honestly. It caused me to reflect on my social media and messaging usage because I, I'm held to the same high standard and, and I don't want there to be any question about my conduct but I've been greatly impacted by Chandler's ministry, which makes it disorienting for me to hear that. What are we to make of Christian leaders who fall? And in our text this morning, we, we see the sinfulness of humanity, which reveals to us that the problem of sin persists even today. But we also see the the history of Israel, our history, which reveals to us that our only hope is in Jesus Christ. So that's going to kind of be our roadmap for our time together this morning. Uh, look, look at verse 18. It says that the sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then we get this little parenthetical note there. Ham was the father of Canaan. Now, why is that important? Why does that matter? We, we don't hear about Shem's and, and Japheth's children until Genesis chapter 10. And, and even then, we read that Canaan isn't even the, the firstborn son of Ham. You just flip over to, to Genesis 10 verse 6. You read that it says, The sons of Ham were Cush, Egypt, Put, and then Canaan. Right, so Canaan is actually the fourth-born son of Ham, and yet Ham is identified in verse 22 as the father of Canaan. So clearly, there must be a reason why Moses is singling out Ham and, and Canaan like this. And, and we realize that this story in Genesis is part of the bigger story of the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, and that the people of Israel would have being very familiar with Canaan. Because at this time, Moses is writing this to the generation that is about to go into the land and conquer Canaan. In Genesis 17, verses 7 to 8, God is going to say to Abraham, 
I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And we're going to see this phrase, the land of Canaan, 35 times throughout the book of Genesis, because the land of Canaan was what God had promised to his people. And throughout the, the Torah, God is going to give the Israelites orders to drive out the Canaanites from their land. Now, now before we start feeling bad for the Canaanites, we need to, to keep in mind that the Israelites hearing these words would not have felt bad for the people of Canaan. Right, the Canaanites were an idolatrous and immoral and corrupt people who were constantly at war with the people of Israel and who had for centuries been heaping the, the judgment of God upon themselves. And so the Israelites would have heard these words and they would have thought, that's how it saw, this all just started. Right, as they're about to enter into the promised land, they, they hear about what happened here with, with uh, Ham and, and Canaan, and, and suddenly it all makes sense. But this was always the plan of God. If you, if you look at verse 19, uh, it says that these three were the sons of Noah, and from these, the people of the whole earth were dispersed. All right, So it's not like God made a mistake by creating the, the Canaanites, that he's suddenly looking for a way to get rid of them. No, no, the existence of the Canaanites was always the plan of God. And as we move through our text, and really over the next few chapters, we'll, we'll see why that's the case. But then, then comes this bizarre story with Noah. Look at verse 20. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. All right, so just as uh, Genesis 2 verse 8 says that the Lord God planted a garden, here we read that Noah planted a vineyard. That's says similarity there, but that's about as far as the similarities between God and, and Noah go, because verse 21 says that Noah drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. All right, so like Adam, Noah sins through the fruit of a tree, and like Adam, Noah is naked and ashamed. Now, what's interesting is that the Hebrew word for uncovered here is translated in other parts of the Old Testament as the word exile. All right, and the reason why the biblical writers made a connection between these two words, uncovered and exile, is because when a nation was defeated by another nation and they were carried off into captivity, oftentimes they were stripped naked and they were humiliated. And so Moses is using this term uncovered in a, in a literal way, because this actually happened, but also in a metaphorical way to warn the people of Israel that if they break God's covenant with them, they will be exiled. They'll be stripped naked and they'll be humiliated in front of their enemies. 
And they already have a, a very real example of this in, in Adam, who broke God's covenant, who was naked and ashamed, and who was exiled from the Garden of Eden. And what I believe the, the Bible is saying to us here is that none of us is safe. None of us is safe. Not even righteous Noah. Right, as one pastor put it, uh, he was safe from the flood, but he wasn't safe from his own sin. God had wiped clean the world, but the world was still in Noah. You see, Noah's problem is not external, it's internal. Noah's problem is not with his circumstances, it's with the sin in his heart. All right, so this week, I was uh, putting together this Ikea shelf that we had bought, and it wasn't going very well. I don't know if you've ever put together Ikea furniture, but it's a love-hate relationship. I find myself getting more and more frustrated with how things weren't fitting together like they should, which quickly revealed to me and probably to everyone around me that I had sin in my heart. And the same is true for all of us. As you see, our problem is not external, it's internal. And so our problem is not with wine, it's not with sex, it's not with technology, or with Ikea furniture, or with difficult family members, or irritable bosses, or with farm equipment that keeps breaking down, or bad weather, or lack of sleep. Our problem is with the sin in our hearts. None of us is safe from grievous and shameful sin. Everyone has things of which they are ashamed. As one commentator put it, all too often the walls of our homes witness irritabilities and anger and slanderous words and laziness, and sensualities, that if the walls could speak, would take our gray hairs down to Sheol. Thus we find in our text a need for continual grace. We find in our text a need for continual grace. You see, the flood didn't fix the problem of sin, but that wasn't its purpose. God had already stated in Genesis 3, verse 15, that there would, there, there would be enmity. There would be conflict between the serpent and the woman, and between the serpent's offspring and the woman's offspring, but that the offspring of the serpent would ultimately be crushed by the offspring of the woman. And to take our eyes off of this battle, off of this conflict, to, to think that, that we have somehow arrived and that sin no longer affects us, no longer has a hold on us in any way, will leave us drunk and naked in our tents. I believe that Satan attacks believers hardest in times of rest and triumph. We see that in our text, right? Noah has just come through the flood. He's on the other side of the difficulty but he's become complacent. He's become relaxed, 
to the point where he thinks that sin is no longer an issue, but it is. And if we are not daily making war against sin, then it won't be long before we fall like Adam and like Noah and like so many others, right? This is why we sing, oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. All right, we, we don't move on from grace. It's not like we get grace and then we can somehow live however we want. No, because we are prone to wander, because we are prone to leave the God we love, we need grace every second of every minute of every day of our lives. So we must never move on from grace. We see that, that grace freely flowed in the new world. But we also see that sin is alive and well. And it's not just alive and well in Noah, it's alive and well in Noah's family. Look at verse 22. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. All right, now there's some speculation. Uh, there's been some speculation over the years about what exactly Ham did. Right, some have suggested that Ham uh, sexually assaulted his father. Uh, others have said that the, the language used later in the book of uh, Leviticus, Leviticus 18, uh, of uncovering one's nakedness is a uh, euphemism for sleeping with that person's close relative. Right, so maybe it means that, that Ham uh, slept with Noah's wife, which would have been Ham's mother. Both of these would have been really bad. But I, I believe there is a, a better and simpler explanation for what Ham did. And, and it's found in the remedy to the situation. I look at verse 23. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both of their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. Now, so we find out what Ham did wrong by contrasting that with what Shem and Japheth did right. Does that make sense? All right, so, so what did Shem and Japheth do right? Well, they honored their father by covering up their father's shame and by not gazing upon their father's nakedness. All right, so that's what Shem and Japheth did right. Now, then, what did Ham do wrong? Well, he dishonored his father, by delighting in the shameful display of his father's nakedness and by taking pleasure in exposing his father's shame to his brothers. All right, so it was not like Ham saw his father's nakedness out of the corner of his eye and thought, I shouldn't be looking at that. And in fact, I should do something to help my father. No, no, this was a lingering look at his father's nakedness. All right, we see the, 
The same thing from King David in 2 Samuel chapter 11, who saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. Now, the reason why the woman's description is given is because it was a, a lingering look which took in all of her features. And this led David to find out who the woman was in order that he might have an affair with her. All right, so this wasn't a, a mere glance from him. The, uh, the woe pronounced in Habakkuk 2 verse 15, may have had Ham in mind. There it says, Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. Now, this isn't to suggest that, that, there, is, uh, that there are homosexual undertones in our text. I, I think that Ham is simply, simply amused by his father's predicaments. Uh, whenever Helena and I check on the kids before we go to bed, it's, it's fascinating to see the positions that they end up in, right? Like arms and legs are all over the place. And, and it's funny to us mostly because uh, they sleep just like us. So uh, whenever we see them sleeping a certain way, we know that it's because we sleep a certain way. And so it, it's humorous, but, but here, this isn't funny, right? Am has greatly dishonored his father. And, and why this doesn't offend us like it should is because we live in a culture that doesn't honor fathers like it should, right? You watch any TV show over the past 50 years and the father is a bumbling idiot who can't do anything right, Right, what this does is it normalizes the mocking of fathers and the mocking of fatherhood to the point where it's okay to, to make jokes about it. And yet we find in the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Right, and this is reiterated in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, where the apostle Paul writes, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And Paul even goes on to state that this is the first commandment with a promise. So, so we see that Ham wasn't honoring his father like he should. But, but then, then what about when the father acts dishonorably? All right, what about Noah's case? Who's passed out, drunk, and naked in his tent. Right, dude, do we still have to honor fathers who, who don't deserve honor? And what our text seems to suggest is that even if that happens, even if a father does something dishonorable, even if a father does something shameful, even if a father does something we regret, he still deserves honor. No, we, we can cover it up and we can look the other way, but we must honor our fathers. Why? Because fathers represent the authority of God in the home. So, so when we mock fathers, what we're doing is we're mocking the authority that God has placed in the home, which ultimately means we're mocking God. 
By dishonoring his father, Ham was dishonoring God. And by inviting his brothers to dishonor their father, he was inviting them to dishonor their God. Right? So you can see why this is a really big deal. And it's, it's not just an affront to Noah. It's an affront to God. Noah is drunk. Noah's naked. And rather than taking pity on his father and helping cover up his father's shame, Ham goes and tells his brothers about it in a spirit of mockery. And Shem and Japheth, they go and do what Ham should have done in the first place, but had failed to do. They cover up their father's nakedness. And we don't have to think too long and hard to see how this points us to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 says that uh, no creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so we see that in that sense, we are all by nature like Noah, drunk on the immorality of this world and naked before the king of the universe. We need the hope of of Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. We need that. And and, and we see that just as Genesis 3, verse 21 says, God made garments of skin and clothed Adam and Eve to cover up their nakedness. So also uh, Isaiah 61, verse 10 says that God clothes his people with garments of salvation and with the robe of righteousness. Right, so despite our wickedness and our shame, Jesus does for us what we failed to do. And, and he does this by being stripped naked himself and by being nailed to a cross. And for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, So that we who believe might receive the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 3 verse 22 says. So we see there's a glimmer of hope for us. It's a glimmer of hope and we must not move away from it. But then what happens to Ham? What happens to Ham? Look at verses 24 to 27. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, blessed be the God, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servants. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servants. All right, so notice that this is the first thing we hear Noah say. All right, in fact, this is the only thing we ever hear Noah say. We didn't hear a single word from Noah before the flood, during the flood, or after the flood when he offered a sacrifice to the Lord. Right? The first time we hear Noah speak 
is when he wakes up from his drunken stupor and he says, cursed be Cain. Right, this is also the first time we, we see uh, someone other than God curse something or someone. Right, we saw God curse the serpent in Genesis 3 and then God cursed Cain in Genesis 4. But here, Noah's the one who utters a curse. Now, uh, Deuteronomy 27 verse 16 says, uh, Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother. Therefore, we would expect Ham to be cursed. Yes? No. Notice that Noah doesn't curse Ham for what he did, but rather Noah curses Ham's descendant for what Ham did. Right, this may be the reason why in uh, Isaiah 20 verses 3 to 4, the Lord says, as my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot for three years as a sign and a portent against Egypt and Cush, so shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptian captives and the Cushite exiles, both the young and the old, naked and barefoot, with buttocks uncovered, the nakedness of Egypt. Right, because who were Ham's descendants? Egypt, Cush. Right, so since... Ham mocked the, the nakedness of his father, so also Ham's descendants would be mocked in their nakedness. But then, but then it's, it's, it's even more specific than that. It's not, it's not just one of Ham's descendants that Noah curses. No, Noah specifically curses Ham's youngest son, Canaan. Now, whenever we see the order of Noah's sons given... It's always Shem, Ham, and Japheth, isn't it? But yeah, we, we, we see that in, in Genesis 5, verse 33, chapter 6, verse 9, chapter 9, verse 18, and chapter 10, verse 1. But here, we read that Ham was actually the youngest son of Noah. And so some have suggested that since Ham is Noah's youngest son, this is why Noah curses Ham's youngest son. But it's even deeper than that. Because when the people of Israel would have heard these words, they wouldn't have heard Canaan the individual. They would have heard Canaan the family line. And remember, we've been looking at the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent. And we've seen how the line of blessing has come through Adam, through Seth, and, and Noah, and now to Shem and and ultimately to Jesus. And then we've also seen how the line of cursing has come through the, the serpent and, and through Cain and now to Ham and Canaan and ultimately to the Egyptians, to the Philistines, the Assyrians and the Babylonians, all of Israel's warring neighbors for the years to come. And so this passage isn't simply about blessing Shem and cursing Canaan, it's about the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent and the blessing that comes through these two lines. And we see this clearly in verses 28 to 29, where it says that after the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. Okay, so notice 
that there is no mention of Noah having other sons and daughters. In Genesis chapter 5, after each one of those men died, it said that he had other sons and daughters. But, but there's no, no mention of that here because God wants to make it clear that the entire human race came from Noah and his three sons. Everyone comes from one of these three lines in a physical sense, but then also in a spiritual sense. There are those who more accurately resemble the offspring of the serpent and, and are thus in a cursed relationship with God. There are those who more accurately resemble the, the offspring of the woman and are thus in a relationship of blessing. But then there's this mysterious people of Japheth in the middle who are, they're, they're not really of the cursed line of, of Canaan and yet they're distinct from Shem, even though they enjoy the blessings of Shem. All right, we, we read in verse 27, where Noah blessed Japheth, saying, may, may God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. But what's interesting about that is that the physical fulfillment of verse 27 that, that Japheth would dwell in the tents of Shem, that never happened. There never was a time in the Old Testament when the Japhethites were physically dwelling in the tents of Shem. And that's because this isn't a, a physical promise, it's a spiritual promise. Galatians 3 verse 29 says that if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to promise. And so if you are a Gentile, which is likely most of us, and you are a Christian, then you are a spiritual Japhethite dwelling in the tents of Shem. But, but more than that, you are a child of Abraham who's being grafted into the line of Shem. And, that, and that's really neat. Because it, so in the middle of darkness and depravity, there's a glimmer of hope, isn't there? And, and it's not hope in man. Right? It's, it's not in Ravi Zacharias. It's not in Matt Chandler. It's not in me. It's not in righteous Noah. But there, there's hope in Jesus Christ who is the fulfillment of God's promise to create a people from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. And Colossians 3, verse 11 says, Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. And what this means is that the gospel of Jesus Christ has no boundaries. Right? It's, it's not limited to a particular gender or ethnicity or, or people group. It, it, it's not even limited to Shem and Japheth. Because in, in Joshua chapter 6, we see how the gospel even invades Ham and, and the, the line of, of Canaan as Rahab and her family would be saved at Jericho, one of the Canaanite cities. 
and, uh, and she even finds herself as one of the women mentioned in Jesus' genealogy. So the gospel of Jesus has no boundaries. It's invading every sphere. And we see that Christ can redeem even those from the line of Canaan, even those who seem unredeemable. And this is good news for us. This is good news for us. We, we ought not to come to the end of our text and, and feel bad for, for Ham and, and Canaan. Why? Because they, they acted wickedly like the serpent. And to side with Ham and Canaan is to side with the serpent. In, in other words, siding with Ham and Canaan is siding with evil. It would be like siding with Sauron or the White Witch or Voldemort. Siding with Ham and Canaan is siding with evil. And, and so feeling bad for them is not, not the, the response required of us in our text. So how then are we to respond? With praise and adoration for the grace and mercy of God. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. That's, that's our call, church. So even though Noah is a, a wretched sinner because of his faith, God regards him as righteous. And, and this is good news for wretched sinners like you and like me. Because while we are all by nature like Noah, drunk and, and naked before God, we are also all by nature like Ham in that we are all under the curse of death. And our, our natural inclination is to sin and to turn everything to wickedness. And God would be entirely just to give us over to our sinful desires and to condemn us to a lost eternity. But the awe-inspiring grace of God is available to all those who believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who became a curse for us, Galatians 3 verse 13 says, so that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8 verse 39, not even the curse of death. Therefore, hope in Christ. Hope in Christ. Only Christ can do for us what we are unable to do ourselves. Only Christ can change the heart. Only Christ can cover our sins and not just cover our sins, but to remove them as far as the east is from the west. Only Christ can do that. Only Christ can redeem the seemingly unredeemable and only Christ can break the cycle of sin and misery fully, finally, and forever. Hope in Christ, for he is the only way, the only hope that we have in this world and in the next. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We confess that we are 
too much like Noah and Ham. We are in need of a covering, a garment of righteousness that is not our own. We are in need of divine rescue from ourselves and from our predicaments. We thank you that you have not given us up to our sinful desires, but that you have promised blessing for those who put their trust in Christ. By faith, may we enter that line of Shem and dwell in those tents and enjoy your blessing for the sake of your glory. May we do that with praise and adoration for your grace and mercy forever. We pray this in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.